Masechet Ketuvot Daf Peh. This entire Daf is going to be a whole bunch of stories, legal cases that came up and came before one rabbi or another, and we could see how they ruled on it. So the first one is going to continue a theme of seizing property. If a creditor goes and seizes property from the person that owes him, uh, if the person is alive, but they're both alive, then that is legitimate. Uh, if the person who uh, from whom he's seizing property has died, however, according to the Biyakiba, that is in valid because that um, uh, that property now goes to the inheritors and so uh, the creditor cannot go and seize it. Rabbi Tarfon thought it was, thought it was okay to seize it. So here's the story. Yemar was owed money by some guy. That guy who owed the money died and he left a boat. So Yamar says to his uh, an agent, go and grab the boat so that I will use it to pay back the loan that he owes me. So the agent goes and grabs the boat. So while he's there, uh, he, he encounters Rapapa, Rav Yehuda, Ravuna, uh, sorry, Ravuna, the son of Rav Yoshua. Amrule at tofes lebal chob makom shechav leacherim. And these two rabbis tell the agent, "You're holding on to uh, uh, the um, property of someone who owes money in a case where he also owes to other people. In other words, you are disadvantaging other people by grabbing onto this boat. This guy who died owes money to a lot of people. So." While maybe it's legitimate to grab the money to grab the boat, uh, if you were the only one he owed money to, but by grabbing the boat, you are removing the possibility of other people that he owes to. So you can't just hold on to the boat. So that's what the two rabbis said. Uh, so the agent uh, probably thought, okay, these are two great sages, right? They're telling me it's not allowed. So he doesn't. He goes away. And uh, furthermore, the two rabbis are quoting the Biochanan from generations before that says someone who uh, grabs on to assets of a creditor who also owes others and it will disadvantage those others does not acquire it. Okay, so the agent says, okay, fine, all right, I will not uh, grab onto it. But then, here's the funny part of the story. So those two rabbis grab onto the boat. It seems they didn't just happen to see him around there. They probably also heard that this guy died, and he also owed them, the two rabbis, money. So then, once they got rid of the agent, they went and grabbed onto the boat themselves. They did it in different ways. That Papa would uh, 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 steered the boat. He sat in the boat with an oar and he's paddling one way. And the Rav Huna, son of Rav Yeshua, he's holding on to the boat uh, with, uh, with a rope and pulling it the other way. And so uh, they're, you know, which, who's going to be stronger? Who's going to be able to pull it more? It's a you know an actual tug of war, rabbinic tug of war here uh, to get the boat. Now, and they weren't splitting it either. They each one said, "I got the whole thing. I got the whole thing. Mine is a better way of acquiring it." And then that poor agent is probably watching this, and he wanted to get it too. Okay, so now we have a big mess, both physically tugging at it and also legally uh, t- tugging at their claims. Uh, so Rapinchas Barameh also happened to be there. 
doesn't say that he was owed money too. Maybe he really just happened to be there. And he told the rabbis, Rav uh, and Shmuel agreed that you can only seize property if it's in the if it's in the public square, uh, so that it's basically hefked, and then someone can get it. So what you're doing is totally invalid. Uh, not clear exactly where they were. Maybe they were already, you know, in some side part of the stream. But the two rabbis said, yeah, when we seized it, it was in the middle of the current of the river, which was a public domain. And now, by by this time, they both are pulling and or uh, and and uh, uh, paddling it. They went to the side. But since they did find it in the middle of the river, that is a public domain, and therefore, they claim that they are permitted to uh, seize it. Um, okay, so now they come to Lekamed Rava. They come to Rava. This is Rav Papa's teacher and to, to for judgment to see what to do. Rava calls them white geese maybe because they had white beards. So these are, you know, elder, important gentlemen. And what are you doing? You remove people's cloaks, right? You're just grabbing at people's clothing, at people's property and taking some, no, it's mine, no, it's mine. This is not a not proper way to act. After all, Rav Nachman explained that the whole law of seizing only works when a person is alive and this person has died. In other words, halachas like Rabbi Akiva. So none of you are right. None of you can go and seize the property. The property is going to go to the orphans. If you have a claim, then you're going to go to the orphans. You're going to have to swear. You bring it to court and uh, hopefully the uh, you'll be able to get repaid by the estate. Okay, next story. Avimi Rabbi Abahu. So Avimi owed money uh, uh, to people from this a place called Bechozai. He owed them money. So Abimi sends a messenger, the agent, Chama. Uh, he says, here, Chama, take this money and go and repay my loan. Azal Padrino, he goes and pays it back. Then Amadehu Habuli Shetara, Chama tells the creditors, okay, give me back the uh, contract that says that Avimi owes you money. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to uh, trade the money for the contract, and then you take the contract, and that's a receipt, so that the people cannot collect again. But the, the people in Bechazai says, no, this money that you paid is for side debts. That uh, Avimi had, had a main debt, uh, with the contract, and he had other debts. This money that you paid us, that will cover the side debts, but you still owe us the main debt, so we're not giving you back the contract. <clears throat> so now, the case comes before the Abu to adjudicate, um, and uh, the, uh, whereas Avimi says, I sent this messenger to pay my main debt, I want the contract back. I don't know about it. These are these other debts. That's a separate thing. And the other people are saying, okay, we got the money. We're applying it to the side debts, but we're not giving back the main debt. So he still has to pay us more. Okay, so Rabbi Abu asks, Amale, de He asks Avimi, Did you, do you have witnesses that you, in fact, pay them? Amale, la, there's no witnesses, right? I just sent it with this one Hama. I don't have two witnesses that I paid anything. Amale, says, therefore, the people of Bechozai, <coughs> the judges Rabbi Abu, the people of Bechozai could claim a stronger claim and said, nothing happened. We never got paid anything, not one dollar. Therefore, they are also, since they could say that and they are believed, 
Therefore, if they say, yes, you did pay money, but that was we applied to the side debts because you had these other debts and therefore you did not repay your main debt with the with the loan document. Therefore, you still owe that money and we're not giving you back the loan document. <clears throat> okay, so now uh, you can see that Avimi is going to be upset. He has to, he just paid. Now he's going to have to pay again. Now, what do we do with this agent, right? Does she, he pay the agent for his uh, time and service? Can he get the money back from the agent? Well, let's see. What exactly were his words? If the sender said, go get the loan document and then give the money. In that case, since he said, make sure you demand the loan document first, and this messenger didn't do it, the messenger has to pay his fee back to the one who sent him. But if the sender said, he says, give the money and then get the loan document, then the messenger can say, I did that, I gave the money, and after that, I asked for the loan document back. So I did what I was supposed to. Therefore, the messenger does not have to give his fee back to the sender. Now, even though we just concluded that, the Gemara, a later layer of the Gemara says, Velohi, but that's not true. We don't agree with that. Ben kach or ben kach meshalem, no matter what, the sender uh, has to pay. Sorry, no matter what, the messenger has to pay the money back to the sender. Because the sender can say, I sent you to fix something, not to break it. Eh? And so you should be able to figure it out on your own. When you send a messenger, you got to send someone who you trust, who's bright. And the messenger has a responsibility to do things that are in the interest of the sender. And so he should make sure to get a loan document. Don't walk out of there without collecting the loan document. Otherwise, now he lost his out money and he has to pay again. So if the messenger does a bad job, then the messenger doesn't deserve to get paid and he has to give his fee back. Okay, new story. A certain woman who was holding a bag full of documents that was deposited with her. Some guy had a whole bunch of, of loan documents and he wanted to store it safely. So he gave it to this woman. Can you hold this bag of documents for me? And I'll come pick it up one day. Uh, anyway, he, the guy died. So the uh, son, the inheritors of that guy uh, came to the woman and said, listen, we know our father had a bag of documents that he deposited with you, so we would like it back. She says, no, I'm not giving it back. He didn't give it to me to, as a deposit to watch for him. Rather, I seized it from him because he owed me money. So I going to keep these loan documents as collateral so that until he pays me the money. So now they're in a disagreement. They come to Rav Nachman for judgment. He asked the woman, do you have witnesses that the guy, when he was alive, he said, hey, give me that, give me the, uh, he said, he asked for the bag of documents back and you didn't give it to him, right? If, if, that, if so, that would prove that you actually seized it from him and you are claiming, right, I'm holding on to this until he pays. But if you don't have witnesses that that happened, then we're going to believe the orphans that say that he just gave it to you as a deposit to watch for him. So, so she said, no, I don't have witnesses. Uh, so he says back, 
can can have it to pisala harmita. In that case, when he gave it to you, he gave it to you to hold on to. And now that you decided, oh, I'm I'm not giving it back. That's seizing it after death. We follow Rabbi Akiba that says seizing someone's assets after death is not considered effective, and so therefore he has to give it back. So. And the orphans are the orphans win. So this is important alakha. It means that if you see something, you actually have to go and go to their property or to the shutarabim and take it. Um, whereas if someone gave it to you already, it's already in your house and you're watching it for them, well then you can't just there's no way to seize it because it's already in your house. Um, the only way to uh, to show that you're seizing it in that case would be if the other party tried to claim it back, get it back from you and you refuse. So that would be seizing it. Uh, in their lifetime, so uh, the orphans win. There was a certain woman, a new case, that had to make a an oath to avoid payment in the betin of Rava. Okay, so the date's scheduled tomorrow, they're going to come, and she's going to vow that you know, she doesn't owe money. But in the meantime, the daughter of Rav Chista is Rava's wife, that's the judge's wife, says, I know that woman, and she is not reliable. She makes oaths that are false oaths. Don't believe her. So, so Rava took that into, into his wife's um, advice into account and he flipped the responsibility of the oath to the other party that the other party will have to make a vow that she does owe money and then she'll have to pay. Um, since she is not, is not reliable, she has a reputation uh, that she um, makes false oaths. So Rava flipped it around. Okay, Zimnin, another story. So another time, Rav Papa and Rav Adabar Matana were sitting in front of Rava, the same judge, Rava, and a certain uh, a document came for them. They had to judge the validity of the document. Papa, the student of Rava, says, Oh, I know this document, I know this case. This is a loan document that's already been repaid. So don't don't apply it. You should not make the person pay based on it. Do you have someone else that knows your information? Because I need two witnesses to invalidate a contract. The contract itself has witnesses on it. Amalela Papa says, No, I know the I know it alone. There's nobody else. Rava says, even though we have you, Papa, and you're, you know, you're a fine student, fine sage, but once one witness is not worth anything, so therefore I'm going to have to go ahead and apply this loan document anyway and make the other person pay to pay the person who holds this loan document. Okay, the other student who was sitting there then asks. Rava, his teacher, how come you don't treat Rav Papa uh, at least equal, uh, want to treat him the same as you treat your own wife, the daughter of Rav Chista? Remember in that story, the daughter of Rav Chista, Rava's wife said, this woman isn't trustworthy, and he changed his uh, his approach. How come over here, and he didn't trust her. How come over here, Rav Papa says, don't trust the guy bearing the document. The document is already paid. How come you don't um, listen to Rav Papa the same way you listen to your wife? 
And the answer is, Rava says, I know the daughter of Chista. She's my wife. I know her to be completely honest. So I trust her 100%. Whereas Rapapa, I don't know him with the same degree of certainty, right? Not, not, not claiming that he's lying, but he doesn't take it as an absolute fact that he can rely on in a legal sense unless there are two witnesses. Okay. Amara papa hashtag amar mor kim li begave. So now the papa, uh, I don't know how if he was insulted or not, but anyway, he did learn something from this, and he says uh, now that the master Rava said this this uh, uh, principle that if you know something with certainty, miltahi, you can rely on that, right? Even without two witnesses, if there's a basic fact that you know 100 percent, then that could change the way you adjudicate a case. Kegon aba mor beri de kim li begave karana. If I have an example, for example, Abamor, my son, I know him, he is 100% truthful, totally honest guy. If he tells me that a certain document is a false document, I would tear up the document based on his one word, not even with two witnesses. So, um, you know, if you know someone that well, yes, you can rely on them. So now uh, the Gemara is going to clarify, do you mean literally tear up the document you can't tear up the do- document has two witnesses you can't tear up a document just based on one witness uh, even if that witness is reliable it's not doesn't this doesn't like illegally it doesn't work rather what he means him what he must mean is that he'll weaken the strength of the document so if I, he was a judge he would say listen in addition to this document you also need to bring some other proof you have to also swear do something else because there is a this document is under suspicion because of her, of this reliable person. Okay, new story. A certain woman had to take an oath in Rabbevai's court. The other litigant against this woman says, I don't want her to take a, court, a, 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 a vow here. I want her to come and make a vow in the town, in the, the town where we come from. Because there, people know her, and there she'll be more ashamed to lie. So, if she makes a, makes a vow in the, town where, in the town where you are, then I will agree to, the, to, to pay her, or whatever the case was. She says, fine, I agree. I will give a, a vow in, that, in, the, in the town, in this other place, as long as you, you, Betin, right here, write me a document of rights that um, when I take the oath, then they, they will, uh, the betin in the local town will say, okay, took the oath, fine, then you could collect the money. Right? I don't want to have to re-litigate this whole thing in the local town. You already said that if I, va- if I make an oath, then I win the case. Write that for me and put it in writing. If I vow, I win the case. So the judge says, yeah, okay, fine. Write her the document. We totally agree to that. Rapapi tells Rabbevai an insult. He says, because you came from unfortunate people, you say some unfortunate thing, uh, or you come from a shortened people, maybe it might mean they come, he comes from the house of Eli, who was sentenced to die young. So because you're cut short, you say words that are cut short, this is totally wrong what you said. 
המערבה, היי אשרתא דדייני, דמי כתבה מקמא דנחבו סהדי החתימות ידיהו פסולה, עלמא מחזה כשקרא, החנמה מחזה כשקרא. דבר said that you should not write a document even if it's technically true, you shouldn't write it even if it seems to be false. His example was uh, the ratification of judges. So they, they, the judges are trying to ratify, are these witnesses really true or not? So they write a document, uh, that they, a, a letter saying, the witnesses on this document are ratified. We, we, you know, we, we tested them out, we compared them, we asked people, and they are ratified. Now they write the document, but the judges don't sign it yet until after they actually ratify it. But they write the doc, they write the text before they go through the process of ratification. So this, Rava said, is no good because it seems like they're lying. They're writing something that's not yet true. And so you can't, you shouldn't write something that isn't true now, even though and maybe eventually it will be true and only then they'll sign it. They shouldn't do that. First you ratify it and then you write and sign the document. That's the proper way to do it. And here too is the same thing. These judges are saying, give her the money as long as she gives an oath. So they're already saying that she wins the, the case, that she's in the right. And then they just add, oh, you have to now go through the process. No, first you have to go through the whole process and then you can write your judgment. And what, you would, what they're doing here also looks like an act of falsehood and therefore the judges should not do that. So that's what Papi says, <coughs> that the, the, um, uh, they should not have written such a document. Um, okay, Veleta, however, in the end, we say that that's not true. Rapapi, we don't follow him, and this halacha is not accepted. Midrav Nachman, because look at what Rav Nachman said, the Amad of Nachman, Omeda Yadabi Meir. Rabbi Meir says, if a husband finds a get, in the garbage can and it just happens to have the same name his name and his wife's name and he gives it to her it's valid so you see that this is something that it looks like it's false yet it's valid there are the rabbis who disagree with Meir, but they only disagree for a different reason. They disagree because it's a get. When you have a get, according to Chachamim, you have to write it with this man and woman in mind. And you can't just use some another document with the same names. But if it was another document, then that was not a get where you don't need to it to be written for the sake of these particular people, then they would agree that it's fine. So you see that Av Nachman says a document, even though it was pre-written, and now you're reusing or reapplying after the fact, is totally fine. So even though it looks like it's a it's a false document, it's in fact a good document, and you can use it. And therefore, uh, we'll go back and uh, certify that Ababai had a right to tell to to tell them to write a letter to saying this woman is right. Right, give her the money as long as she writes, as long as she gives an oath. So he's kind of prejudging prejudging the case before everything actually is examined. That's permitted. And another proof that this is in fact the halacha. Um, Rabbi Yochanan says that um, a loan document that was paid back, um, you cannot reuse it. And, uh, and and uh, for another for a new loan because in the document it'll have a lien right when you have a a, a, a loan with a written document then there's a lien on the property 
but that lien already left once it was paid back from the first time. So then the lien goes away. If you're going to use the same document, then it's going to look like you have a lien on that same property from the date that's written on it, but that is not true. So that's why you can't reuse a loan document. So we learn from here, the only reason why you can't reuse a loan document is because of that lien that will uh, has already already disappeared, was already forgiven, but now you're going to seem to, it will seem from the document that it's reapplied. And that's not true. That's the only reason. But we don't give a say it's a problem that it looks like a falsehood, right? If it was just for that concern, we would not be concerned and so you can use a document after the fact uh, even though even though it looks like a falsehood we don't that's not a problem all right so that's the bottom line okay now another case a certain man deposited seven pearls tied up in a sheet, and he gave it to Rabbi Mesha. Um, okay, to hold for him. Now, Shecheb Rabbi Meyasha Vela Pekid. Rabbi Meyasha was holding these, uh, the, these uh, pearls, died, and did not give instructions to his household, to his children, what these, where this came from, what this, what these pearls are. So and they go into a legal fight. Atula Kameh did a be Ameh. And so the, 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 the two parties go to the be Ameh. The uh, inheritors say, this was our father's property. We inherited it. We get these, uh, we get the pearls. Whereas the other man who deposited them, he says, no, I gave it to him to hold for me. No, I didn't give it to him as a gift and I want them back. So what do we do? First of all, Rabbi Ameh says, He was not a person of great means, of such wealth, and he would not be able to afford such pearls. So probably it's not his, and you have to give him back. And furthermore, the, this guy, the depositor, provided distinguishing marks. He says there were seven of them. They were wrapped up in a sheet in this way. And so, that, therefore, it's like someone that loses something. If the other person can provide distinguishing markers, then he can collect it. Okay. Now, this law that Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Ameh applied, that you can give it to someone who knows, recognizes the distinguishing markers, who, who offers those signs, that's only true if that guy is not a regular guest at the home of Rabbi Meyasha, or whoever is holding holding the items. But if this uh, this guy, the depositor, was a regular guest at Rabbi Meyasha's house, and he went in and out, and he might have seen it there on the table one day. Oh, look at that! Some pearls, seven pearls wrapped in a uh, wrapped in a cloth, and then he would leave. And then after the guy died, he would come say, "Oh, I." once deposited you seven pearls in particular exactly that kind of sheet maybe he's he's able to give the science because he saw it so then we wouldn't believe him but here this is a case where uh he was not a guest uh, this guy at abimiyasha's house and therefore the fact that he gave those signs means that it really is his okay we're gonna have a couple more incidents that are almost the same as this first one a certain man de deposited a silver cup 
in the house of a person named Hasa. And Hasa died, and he didn't tell his kids that this cup came, came from this guy. He didn't tell them it's a deposit. And so the kids say, uh, oh, must be ours. Must be dad bought this um, cup, so it's ours. Whereas this guy, the depositor, comes and says, no, it's mine. And I was I asked him to hold it for me. They came to Rav Nachman for judgment. I always wonder if Rav Nachman is judging alone, or should we assume that he is just means the head of the Betin, and there are other sages with him that are judging it. I'm not sure. Anyway, Amal Lehu, Yadana Bebe Hasa de la Amid. So Rav Nachman says, I know Hasa, he was not very wealthy and he would not be able to afford a silver goblet like this. And furthermore, the depositor gave a distinguishing sign. He knew what it looked like. Okay, so therefore, he said, the depositor gets it. Sorry to the orphans. And the same uh, caveat, we would only apply such a rule if the depositor was not uh, did not regularly come in and, and come out of that home. But if he did often come in and out, then maybe he actually saw it there and uh, maybe a different person is actually deposited there, and this guy happened to see it there, and that's why he was able to give the distinguishing signs. All right, another story that's the same. A certain man deposited some silk in the house of Rav Dimi, the brother of Rav Safra. Rav Dimi died. And he didn't tell his kids that this silk belong, belongs to this other guy who deposited. So the orphans, once again, think that must be ours. We inherit it. Atala commanded the Biaba, they came to the Biaba for judgment. This is consideration number one. I know Dimi is not so wealthy that he would afford such silk. And furthermore, the depositor gave a sign. He described the silk exactly. And once again, with the caveat that we would only apply this rule if it's someone who, if the depositor is someone who didn't often come as a guest, but if he did often come as a guest, then could be someone else deposited there and he just saw it. And that's why he gave the signs, and so then he cannot be believed. Okay, uh, in other words, just based on one of these considerations, you wouldn't give it to him. For the, for the first consideration, he's not so rich, and therefore it's probably not his. Okay, that does, that does indicate that someone deposited it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this guy who claimed it deposited it. So only if it's a, a number one, it's not likely that the, the guy who died owned it, and the other person, how, he wouldn't have a way to know the signs unless it was his, only then do we believe it. One last story about someone who died. This time he did give instructions, but his instructions weren't very clear. A person said at his deathbed, my property should go to Tuvia. Shechev, uh, he died. Some guy named Tuvia came. Yeah, I'm Tuvia. I'm, I'm going to... So they give him all the property. says, yes, give it to him. His name is Tuvia. He wants to give it to Tuvia, so it matches. Okay, Amar Tuvia Vata Rav Tuvia. But what if the guy in his deathbed said, give it to Tuvia, but then someone who was Rav Tuvia came. He was a rabbi and also named Tuvia. So is that the same guy? Le Tuvia Amar? Le Rav Tuvia Lo Amar? So maybe we say, he, oh, he wanted to give it to Tuvia, but he didn't say Rav Tuvia. 
Okay. So we won't give it to him unless it's a person who he's familiar with. If they're good friends, then even if he the guy is a rabbi and normally goes with the title, nevertheless, because they're so familiar with each other, it could be that the deceased called him by his first name. In that case, you would give it to him. Well, let's say there's two people named Tuvia, and they both come forward. So now, which one is the real Tuvia? So if one is a neighbor and one is a uh, learned scholar, you give it to the learned scholar. We assume he probably wanted to give it to a learned scholar to support him in his continuing studies. Even if it's a relative and a Torah scholar, we assume if he didn't identify that he wanted to give it to the Torah scholar to support him. Whatever it's not a Torah scholar, but rather just a neighbor and a relative. Which tuvia do we assume he meant? Tashema tov shachen karov me'ach rachok. Oh, we quote a pasuk in Mishle that says, a close neighbor is better than a distant brother. Um, so therefore, give it to the neighbor, a neighbor who you're close to, who you hang out with, and uh, you, you will feel close to and want to give them their money, better than even someone who's technically a relative, but you know, you know he lives far away. So it goes to the neighbor. If they're both equal, they're both equal relatives, they're both equally uh, neighbors, or they're both they're both Torah scholars, then it's left to the discretion of the judges. The judges will ask each one, interview, you know, why do you think you're the right one? And they'll figure out what they think, what in their estimation is the tuvia that the deceased had in mind. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen v'Amen.